Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. I'm Antonia Blythe, Senior Awards Editor. Today we're recording this at Spotify's extremely fancy downtown LA studios. So thank you so much, Spotify, for having me. My guest today is Adam Scott. He's Emmy-nominated for his role in Apple TV Plus series Severance. He plays Mark a man who is literally in two minds after voluntarily undergoing a procedure that split his consciousness in two. So his working hours self has zero awareness of his home life self and vice versa. And things get even weirder when Mark and his co-workers dig into what really goes on at Lumen, their creepy place of work. Coming to us via Zoom today, since he's on location shooting the new Marvel film, Madam Web, Adam Scott, welcome to 20 Questions on Deadline. Hi, how are you? I'm great. So yeah, I, I missed seeing you at the Severance event a couple of weekends ago. I know. It was Such Nobu in Malibu. You missed out I on know. the sushi. I know. I, I was so bummed to miss it. But we had a COVID delay in Boston on the movie, and so they switched shooting days around and I couldn't go. It was such a bummer. Oh, well, I definitely heard from Dan Erickson and there was Ben Stiller and, and of course, Jen Tullock, who plays your sister on the show. And um, they were very, very tight-lipped about next season. Yeah. And I was just re-watching the finale episode last night. And I just thought, this is just cruel. I mean, the the cliffhanger... <laughs> I mean, where can you possibly go from there? I, I, mean, I know it, it's, you know, when, while we were shooting the, the, those scenes at the, at that party where the finale partially takes place, um, where it's sort of the main action of the finale takes place, uh, where like that very last moment of the episode happens and where I accidentally call um, Patricia's character the wrong name, which kind of exposes me. When while we were shooting that stuff, which was like in the middle of the shoot, I remember Patricia and Ben and I all talking like, this is so fun. And if they're with us at this point, if by episode nine, they're still like they care, meaning the audience, <laughs> then this is going to be fantastic. But you never know if, you know, that house of cards being built up to the point where the audience is still with you at that point. We had no idea if 
anyone would still be caring or if we were, you know, the only ones that, at that point who, uh, who, who would care. So, so relieved and grateful that people did care enough to be frustrated and scream at their TV when the, <laughs> when the finale ended, that means we did something right. And, and, uh, and, uh, and, and they cared about the characters and, and everything. So Anyway, it was really fun to shoot that stuff because we knew how how juicy it would feel for those who who were still with us. I mean, as an actor in this show, you've gone through someone who is totally numbed out, totally grief stricken in the opening scene where he's, you know, dealing with the death of his wife. Um, and then checked out and then so confused and then having an absolute existential crisis all in fairly quick succession and then back again as an actor what's it been like playing this role well it was it was really challenging and really um rewarding in that just while we were making it you know when we when we started it just kind of seemed seemed like this sheer face this wall this like half dome sized wall of work in front of us um and we're shooting the whole season at once right so it was just like walking straight into it and needing to kind of know how the season was you know mapped out just as far as like an actor knowing exactly where your arc was going to be laid out so you could jump around and do like a scene from episode two and then the same afternoon the later that day in the afternoon do a scene in the outside world from episode seven you know we had to kind of have it all mapped out and just the challenge of that and like you said the challenge of kind of jumping between the two sort of versions of the same guy um so we just tried to like get it down on the micro level first, just to figure out technically, like, what was I going to do? How would I approach it? And what ended up kind of being important to Dan and Ben and I was that like, it feel like the same guy, just sort of different halves or parts of the same guy. Cause you could go a, a different direction, which is equally valid. And have them be wildly different, like com two completely different people, which as an actor is sort of, you know, the first instinct. But with this character, it kind of felt important that they feel like the same guy, but just different sections or halves uh, of the same guy. One of them has like 40 odd years of life experience and trauma and happiness and all that stuff that goes into like a full life. And the other one's like, you know, two and a half years old for all intents and purposes. So it became a matter of figuring out how to add and subtract life experience almost. You know, it's that thing, um, someone, a friend of mine said to me yesterday, wouldn't it be fun to be stupid? Because then you could be really happy. <laughs> and right. I just said, yes, but no, I don't know. Yeah. It, which, which, I mean, if you could... It's, it's a bit sunshine of what the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind, you know, would you wipe the pain or would you keep it? I don't know. Right. That's the interesting thing too, because it's like, yeah, that's, that does sound kind of nice. Um, and I think that's what Lumen is hoping for and assuming these 
people are going to do is just be happy with their limited view and the and, and be content with the kind of guardrails that have been put up around their lives. Um, and Mark, I think when we meet him on the inside, he has come to terms with it and decided to just stay, you know, color within the lines and stay there. And then he meets Heli and he knows there's something wrong. He just has kind of stuffed it away and doesn't want to think about it or talk about it, but it's pretty close to the surface. I mean, I think in episode two or three, there's that scene where they roll the ball around that kind of office bonding scene. And it's pretty soon when stuff starts bubbling up and you, and you see that these people don't know who they are or what they're doing there. And it does bother them. They just aren't really allowed to acknowledge it. I do have to say that this set for this show is so mind-bendingly creepy and brilliant. I ran into Patricia Arquette at an event a few weeks ago and she was saying that she would go to set and actually get lost in those kind of looping endless corridors and have to scream for someone to come get her. <laughs> Did that happen to you? Yeah, like 70% of the time because they built all those hallways for us to walk through. To and, But you actually had to walk through those set hallways to get to the office sets but they were constantly changing those moving those hallways around depending on what we were shooting so you would be walking to set down the the lumen hallway and come to a dead end and just have to do, i would end up just standing there and, and having to yell out that i'm here someone needs to come find me because <laughs> i've tried but i cannot find uh, where everybody, I can hear everyone, but I don't know where they are. Uh, yeah, that happened all the time. It's like a circus hall of mirrors, but totally. much scarier. Um, also, just a note for you, uh, Patricia said she really wants a lumen-themed trash can for her house. So if you're thinking of Christmas present ideas, that's on her list. Thank you. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I personally have lumen pretzels in my house and a lumen mug. Oh yeah, lumen, and I think they have raisins too. But we will be we'll be working through you know Christmas time, so I can just grab one from the set and and wrap it and give it to her for I, Christmas. I, I think she'd thought about stealing one, but wasn't sure how to get it out. <laughs> I'll steal it for her. I'll take the bullet. Um, and lastly, before we get into our twenty questions, um. How is, without giving anything away that's going to get you in deep trouble, how's Madam Web going? Oh, it's going great. It's really fun. Uh, Boston is warm right now. Just, I, it feels like it's kind of warm everywhere. Um, but Boston is particularly warm. Uh, but just such a beautiful city. And, and the movie's really, really fun. And Dakota's terrific. Um, and all the, all the actors are, are really fun. And, uh, SJ, the director, is incredible. It's it's a really great uh, set. I think it's going to be a really cool movie. You're so good at answering those questions because I asked Sydney and she goes, you know, no one, they tell you not to talk about it, but they don't tell you what to say instead. And I just said, I said, I think you just say it's exciting a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. But, 
But yeah, I think it's really hard to answer questions when you're not allowed to talk about a project. So I try not to torture people too much with those things. But I know it's it's hard for someone in your job to ask questions in in an age where everything is a secret. Um, but you know, I I get it. Exactly. I appreciate you uh, understanding <laughs> my uh, my situation. So, um, twenty questions. Yeah. Um, you can be as short or lengthy as you choose. So um, first off, what is your favorite thing about your current project? And you can choose whichever project because there's probably a lot of things going on. Sure. No, I'll, I'll, I'll choose Severance. Um, and it's just the people that I get to work with. Um, ben, I've worked with before uh, and have known for a while now. and. I can't even believe I, I can say like I've known Ben Stiller for ten years because we worked on um, Walter Mitty together, which was already ten years ago um, that oh, we made time it. Time flies. Wow. I know it's it's bonkers, um, and I just love working with him. Uh, he's a such a, a brilliant guy, and, and and just really, you know, I I just love the precision of uh Ben's mind on set and it's really fun and uh he's excellent you know and uh and it's so and his taste is is incredible so you can always trust uh trust uh Ben and, and so I I love uh, and I kind of really learned to put all of my trust into uh into him, I, I made that decision early on. Like, I'm not gonna be able to do this if I'm like keeping some director's eye on my performance and being careful and sort of centering myself as I go along and protecting myself in a way, you know, I'm just gonna need to depend wholly on Ben if I'm gonna make it through this, like I said before, like mountain of, of work <laughs> that we all had in front of us. And, uh, and I'm so glad I did that because there's no one better. Um, uh, but from Ben on down, everybody, Britt and John and Patricia and Christopher Walken and Zach and Tramel, um, Deachin, all the all the actors and the crew is incredible. So I would say it's the the people. Fantastic cast on that show, truly. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, what was the moment you realized you wanted to be an actor when it really kind of crystallized? Um, it was really early on and it was, um, I think it was Raiders of the Lost Ark, which was when I was nine years old when that came out, because it came out, I believe in 82, um, 81 I think I can quote that whole movie verbatim, like I'm, I'm yeah. obsessed. Oh my God, for sure. It's the best. Um, 81. Um, but I remember seeing that and then the, the period of time afterwards. Um, and just it just kind of splitting open my imagination, you know, like it did for everybody. And just knowing, not knowing exactly what that was, but I just want to do that. Um, not just the all that action, all that stuff that appeals to a nine-year-old, but also um, the drama of it and the and the the comedy of it. It's a really funny movie too. It's just the whole thing was so much fun in the, in the filmmaking. It's still something I watch uh, a couple times a year. It's 
it's uh, it's perfect. And Temple of Doom also might be Temple of Doom might be my favorite one, but I those two movies I I can't get enough of. Raiders is my favorite, but it's close. It's close. Um, does Harrison Ford know that you feel this way about him? I don't know. I've never uh, met him, but uh, he's still, you know, there's no, uh, isn't a, a movie of his that comes out that uh, actually, have, did you ever see Age of Adeline? That movie? Yeah, I did. Yeah. It's, that's an extraordinary Harrison Ford performance. Um, uh, he's, he's great. He's still great. And uh, always, always doing great work. Did you have an early in your in your life personally? Did you have an early inspirational figure, like a, a parent or a teacher or somebody that that really kind of fed your imagination? Yeah, in high school, um, our theater teacher Kathy Warner was uh, really great and really encouraging and really kind of um, pulled me into you know, doing the plays and joining the acting class and, and all of that. I was really interested in, I secretly wanted to, to do all that, um, but was trepidatious because socially at, at my high school, it wasn't, you know, what you should do if you wanted to be a popular kid, to, you know, going and doing the plays and being a drama person wasn't, that's what they called them, um, uh, what, what you should be doing. So I kind of was kind of peering into the theater that and 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 sort of clearly interested but not ready to to commit and she just pulled me and she's like come on just just check it out see if you like it it's not a big deal she just knew that I was I was into it and encouraged me and and then within you know a couple of months it's all I was doing at school was uh, and you know, directing plays and acting in them, and going to the acting classes, and I just loved it. So you became a quote-unquote theater person in the end, for sure. But I kept one foot in like the water polo world just to just to pick up, try and keep my my social <laughs> strata, uh, you know, in a healthy place. Meaning your dating life in high school is uh determined by your cool factor right it's very brutal. yeah but i don't i don't think it ended up doing me any favors in, in any direction and i don't think there was any mistaking what i was actually interested in which was uh you know putting on putting on costumes and makeup and running around on stage which was what i really loved it sounds kind of way more fun than water polo um it was <laughs> So what posters did you have on your wall as a kid or a teenager? I had, when I was a, a little younger, like 12, 13, I had a, a poster from the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie Commando, which I remember was just a picture of him super sweaty holding a grenade. And my brother, who I shared a room with, was eventually just like, man, you got to take that down. I, it's all, when I wake up every morning, I'm looking at Arnold Schwarzenegger, sweaty, staring at me. And so I eventually took that down and also my tastes evolved. And I, so then I had a do the right thing poster, Martin Ooh. picture of Martin Scorsese and oh, you got Nero really and cool. Pacino. Yeah, I got into that world. And uh, and also bands I had, you know, posters of all my favorite bands. I was very serious about 
the posters in my room and then the posters in my the, the pictures in my locker as well it was a oh, big yeah. part of my identity wait what bands well it's rem and u2 and uh of course beatles and stuff like that um but it was a lot of the the, the kind of bands of the time the big arena bands of the time mm. were uh u2 and rem and, and bands like that do you remember the first movie you ever saw in a theater yeah i, I i'm pretty sure it was high anxiety the um mel brooks movie which was a spoof of um uh, uh alfred hitchcock movies so it was he was making fun of super scary uh, scenes from Alfred Hitchcock movies, but I was like five years old or something. So all I knew was this was terrifying. And I do have very distinct memories of being freaked out and screaming and my dad having me to pick me up and pull me out and then trying to get me back, you know, sit back in the theater and, and freaking out again. Cause it was, it was terrifying. Um, so I believe that was my first movie in the theater. I think. It sounds like your dad was just really wanting to see this movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like the big movie at the time. He didn't want me to, I, I ruined it for him. What was a film or TV character that you wanted to be? Or did we cover that with Indiana Jones or was there someone else? Maybe, yeah, but I, I think also the Matthew Broderick character in War Games was a big one. And then later Ferris Bueller as well. There, he's just such a great, um, there's something so inviting and fun about Matthew Broderick's screen persona that um, that I just you just want to be that guy and uh, War Games was also kind of a seminal experience in the movie theater and seeing the audience it's such a crowd pleaser seeing the audience react um, to every beat they were on pin you know pins and needles just waiting for the next moment the next line in that movie that that movie seemed to play the audience uh, perfectly. Um, it doesn't hold up that well now, though, because I think I, war games. Yeah, it's just because it, it, it at the time was like looking at a, a sort of MS DOS green blinky screen that was super high tech, and that those things are really hard to translate. Yeah, but aside from the technology, all of the all of the um, all of the the human connection and all of that, the story of the movie is still still holds together. But yeah, the technology now is like ancient. Yeah, but then but then you can watch, you know, something like Close Encounters where, of course, you know, it's it's nothing like the effects we have now. But you're right. The story is it supersedes all that stuff. Sure. And that's so important. Sometimes the effects kind of look a little dated, but sometimes it's weird how you watch an older movie and the effects look great and you you were expecting it to look and then sometimes you watch something that you remember being incredible and it, it looks ridiculous. Uh, you never know, I guess. I would say I would say Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back still hold up weirdly, even yeah. given their age, that the yeah. effects hold up. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. 
to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. What's the weirdest job you've ever had? You know, I apply to make up at Magic Mountain, which is a, a you know, Magic Mountain, the, the yeah. amusement park. Six Flags. I had a job. Yeah, Six Flags. Sorry. I, I had a, a job one Halloween to apply makeup to the employees there. Not employees, but they were people who were just running around acting like zombies um, to on Halloween. And, and I didn't know how to do makeup at all. I just had a friend that I just needed some money. And so I went up there and just did zombie makeup on probably like 200 people, just like an assembly line. Just, I didn't know how the first thing about how to do it. So I just kind of drew black circles around their eyes and put black on their lips and was like, okay, go ahead. And they would go out and, and uh, probably didn't look particularly scary or like, uh, like the undead at all. So that put you off uh, going into prosthetics for the walking dead for life. Oh my God. <laughs> I just didn't, it's certainly not my area of expertise. That's pretty good, though, as, as weird jobs go. I I think my number one in the running so far, you're close, you're neck and neck, but Jennifer Coolidge had been an undercover fake pregnant detective in a, sh a shop because someone was stealing from the company. That is so, so much better than mine. It's crazy how incredible that is and how fitting it is for jennifer to to have had that job oh, i know but wait for the clincher that turns out she caught the cashier stealing and it wasn't even the customers oh that's incredible <laughs> i told her she's got to be a detective if this doesn't work out i mean she would be a great detective wouldn't she oh yeah i told her that she'd be amazing no one would ever see her coming when was the last time you cried you know, the other night it was my wife's birthday and um, my kids each made a, a little speech um, about their mom and, and that got me. I mean, if anything's going to get you, that's going to get you, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, how could you not? You'd have to be made of stone. If you yeah, I mean, come on. Um, yeah, that was so it was just like 48 hours ago. Um, you're packing your nuclear bunker. What? Do you take to watch assuming you have a screen and all the sure set up to play anything like one thing or a, a few like uh, you could pick more than you, one i would probably bring um the west wing mm -hmm. i would bring the movie heat i just because i i'm i'm listening to the heat Two, the book that just came on so i'm like super interested in in that movie right now um i would bring um uh maybe breaking bad is really fun to rewatch. i'm trying to think of stuff that you can just watch over and over again because the world's gonna end so yeah, you're gonna need to a, keep going back right it's like i'm like mm, sopranos friends stuff like that right i would bring friends because i'm assuming my daughter will be with me and will want something to watch. So I'd bring friends and I enjoy watching, watching it with her. Um, uh, Godfather one and two, 
right? Um, defending your life, I would bring. I would bring the jerk. Um, trying to think of other stuff. Um, oh, the the uh, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson is really fun to watch a bunch or watch over and over again. That's a great show. Uh, but movies, I wonder what. Oh, I would bring this, you know, like Temple of Doom, maybe, and Empire Strikes Back. Um, maybe you know what's smart. You know what I should do is bring movies I haven't seen. That's what I should do. Yeah, but that's high risk. Because... It's high risk because then you're stuck with them. Yeah, yeah. Because I haven't seen Dirty Dancing, but are you kidding me? No, and it's one I keep meaning to see. And, and you've got a daughter. Uh, How old's your daughter? She's 13. Oh, it's the right time. I know. That's a daddy-daughter watch together kind of thing. Yeah. That's on that, that's that's on my list. What what did you say you you would bring some jewels? Jaws. Yeah. As oh, in Jaws. with the shark. I thought you said jewels. <laughs> well, nah, I mean probably I'd bring those too, but you know. No, Jaws um, the movie is one of my yeah, comfort Jaws. watch. It's Never great. gets old. I mean Richard Dreyfuss is just it's beyond good love it oh i would bring uh flirting with disaster that's one of my favorites it's pretty perfect um tropic thunder maybe trying to think of like perfect movies there's a bunch it's it's so hard to choose isn't it but i, I do know. like that question because it's it's just torture in a way oh totally um what is the toughest scene you've ever had to play there were a couple scenes in severance that were tough and it was part of like, you know, really deciding to just sort of pour, you know, we, we were making the show during COVID. And so there was no like lockdown. So there was no real time with other people um, unless we were at work and the camera was rolling and we got to take our masks off. Other than that, I was living by myself in an apartment. So it was apartment sleep, eat, get in a van, go to work, and then finally get to see someone's face when Ben called action. So um, so I think, you know, it became all one thing. There wasn't really a difference between life and the show, and it all started blending together. And, and so my life sort of, it just kind of went into the show and, um, and, I was grieving myself and deciding to just put, you know, I, 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 the show was right there. And so I decided just as a way of figuring out how to cope, I just looked at it to the show and, and that ended up being uh, a way for me to cope and get through this grieving and so there were some scenes uh over the course of the season where i had to hit that head on and really um confront it and try and uh get get through it and the show ended up being uh, almost like a friend there to sort of help me through it and i just poured it into those scenes uh which was challenging but ultimately, you know, you know, felt great because, you know, after you, you sort of really confront something and uh, cycle through it and deal with it and let it out, um, 
you're, I think, usually in a better place on the other side of it. I was going to ask, um, what is a character that went home with you um, after shooting and that was hard to shake? But I don't know, maybe you just answered that. Yeah, I think so, because of that very reason, because it all sort of cycled into, it all felt um, kind of one of the same after a while. Not that I'm, I think both versions of Mark are very different from me, um, but the way into Audi Mark was, was uh, there was a direct link with, with, with my life at the time. What advice would you give your younger self? To relax <laughs> and not worry so much, you know? I think I started too early. I would have gone and lived a little more life um, before, you know, I started right out of acting school. 1993, I would have gone and lived a little life before. I was just in such a hurry to get started trying to get work as an actor rather than going and gathering up some life experience to put into that work uh, because I just wasn't ready. Um, and I'm, you know, so glad I didn't end up getting, you know, because I auditioned for Scream and Scream 2 and I know what you did last summer, all that stuff in the 90s. I didn't get any of it and was you know, just sort of floating around for a long time, but I'm so glad it didn't, that didn't end up uh, happening for me because I wasn't ready. I wouldn't have been very good. Um, and I would have squandered any success that came my way because I didn't know what to do with it. I think that happens to an awful lot of actors. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's really tough to be in the public eye regardless. Um, but Especially at a, at, a, yeah, at a young age. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, what's the time that you were starstruck? You know, I'm still, I still get that way constantly because having, I think if you grow up around in showbiz or showbiz adjacent, it really helps demystify the whole thing for you. And, um, but I, st I grew up as a, just as a fan and, you know, so I still get nervous around famous people but uh like truly starstruck probably like steve martin you know who's one of my very favorite people ever um getting to meet him was nerve-wracking or maybe obama or something like that yeah you just become a fool just obama and steve martin maybe <laughs> crazy so oh, paul mccartney i got to meet him once that was oh wow yeah what is your proudest working achievement so far? You know, my wife and I made a movie uh, a few years back where we um, we shot a movie over 10 days with some friends. It's called The Overnight. We produced it together. We made it just up the street, um, found a house up the street to shoot, shoot it at. We shot it at night over 10 days for a really small amount of money um two plas brothers produced it with us patrick bryce directed it and it was really homemade you know it felt homemade because we were all just doing it together as a small cast um and our kids would run up the block and hang out with us um on set and stuff and it really felt 
handmade by us with our friends. Um, Patrick's such a great filmmaker. Um, I'm really proud of that movie. And it was just this little thing and then we brought it to Sundance. People really liked it there. It was, it was super fun. What job would you be doing if this hadn't worked out? Probably nothing, but I like to think that I could. That's two things I always kind of fantasized about was being like a political journalist or a, or a rock journalist, like going on the road with, with, um, with, uh, with bands and stuff. So I would like to think that I would be in one of those worlds, but I doubt I, I could uh, cut it. So I would probably be unemployed somewhere uh, being taken care of by my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Who is your hero currently? Patricia James, maybe. I like anyone who's deciding to, uh, to stand up for, uh, for, for truth and for democracy. I think it's very important. <laughs> and it's weird that, that anyone even has to say that. Uh, but I think the um, January 6th committee has been doing really important work and I'm, I'm uh, really happy they're, they're, they're willing to do that and that they're, they're doing it. And I, I hope they, they keep, uh, keep at it. Yeah. Um, who would play you in the biopic of your life? Well, I don't know. What do you think? Would it be like, um, you know, Weird Al Yankovic? I think that would be cool <laughs> if he played me. Yeah, I uh, I think that's actually a really interesting choice. Um, I can't. I, would I, love I don't it. think you visually are that. Like. <laughs> um, Zach, I would Zach Galifianakis. Again, not visually similar. But... But, I, but maybe he would just play me as like a 13-year-old and then someone, a different actor for, as, as, a, as a, I don't know. I, He's hilarious. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think that's for me to say. I think the young you could be Timothy Chalamet. As ah, a sort right. of, when you're being the awkward <laughs> theatre kid, yeah, that, that young, uh -huh. you know. Well, that's very flattering. What is your greatest fear personally or professionally? My greatest fear personally always has something to do with my kids being unhappy or, um, you know, in any kind of peril, of course. Um, professionally, I think um, being found out, I think, you know, when the the show when severance was about to come out like back in january and the billboards went up in town and it was just my head all over the place uh, it was a a new terror that i hadn't really felt before and february 18th was written on the billboards is the day when the show comes out and february 18th just became this freight train that was coming straight at me and there was nothing i could do about it um i really loved making the show and I'd seen all the cuts and stuff and liked it, but didn't know how, you never know how something's going to land or be received. Um, and I was just afraid that we, it would be dismissed or be destroyed and I would be embarrassed. Um, and that I would let Ben and everybody down. Um, it was a, a stressful 
time. And luckily, people uh, like the show, but I would that I was freaked out. So I think, you know, there's that imposter syndrome thing that's very real that I think a lot of people in showbiz have because you start out, you start out, I started out doing background work, you know, so I'd kind of daydreaming about, you know, working with people like John, John Turturro and Christopher Walken and Patricia Arquette, literally those three people um, were people I sort of just would would think about one day getting the chance to work with what, while I was, because it was 1993 when I started, I was doing background work and that's when, you know, they were all doing, uh, they were all kind of, it was kind of the Tarantino time when True Romance and Pulp Fiction and, and also Do the Right Thing had just come out four years early and Totoro had directorial debut in 92, 93. So those three people were really um, front of mind. And, and so when you start, um, as everyone does in show business, sort of on a, on a bottom rung of some sort, um, and if you achieve any sort of uh, success, uh, however temporary, you're going to have that that imposter syndrome and forever be um, afraid of, of being exposed or, or found out. So that's a, that's a fear of mine. <laughs> is, are you my therapist? Is that what's going I on? I mean, it, that, that was my is? alternative career choice. I just ended up doing Is it, it really? It, because yeah. you'd be good at it. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. A bit late now though, isn't it? I suppose. But anyway. No, never. <laughs> it's never too late. That's never. what they say. What is a work memory that makes you laugh? Um, you know, working on Parks and Rec was really fun. And um, it was such a, you know, obviously hilarious group of people. Um, so it, pick a day on that show. And we were, there's, there's just so much fun. And, and I really miss that group of people. They're so terrific. Do you still have like a group WhatsApp or a chat or something? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. Yeah. You know, every few days, someone's someone adds to it, and it's great. Um, and finally, what is your all-time dream role? You know, I, I'm going to be completely honest that it's it's uh, at least right now, and I, I really feel that it's the role I play Mark on severance. Cause when I got those scripts, I just figured this is not going to happen. I'm never going to actually get this job, right? This is too good to be true. This is too great. Um, this isn't going to be me, but if it is, if I am able to actually land this thing, at least for me to justify it to myself, I have to think that I've been earning it the past 25 years or so. The chance to 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 get this opportunity, I've been kind of try, trying as, as I you know as hard as I can to get to a place to work myself to a place where I could be on the doorstep of something like that. So um, even though I didn't believe it was actually going to happen, when it finally did. Um, I had to think of it that way uh, to even, uh, you know, think about uh, taking a, a stab at it. So it really is from the moment I read it. It's exactly the kind of show I like to watch as an audience member and the kind of role I've always 
hoped to, to get a chance at, uh, at playing. Do you have any idea vaguely when you might go back into production? Yeah, we're starting really soon. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So you've seen some scripts. I've seen, yeah, yeah, I'm I've seen stuff. I'm getting stuff the smile and, there and that we're, says I'm not we're... telling you anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Um, it's okay. But, uh, but yeah, we're, we're getting going and, and it's going to be, it's going to be really fun. I can't wait to see everybody. So given what you just said about how this role was sort of the dream, um, getting that Emmy nomination, congratulations. How did that feel? Uh, unbelievable. And, you know, I hadn't really let myself think about it because it, you know, it's all the time. Once the show, it, it seemed like people were liking it and, and the reception was, was good. Um, you know, the focus became about all that stuff. And I, I just couldn't think about it and didn't, didn't think it was in the realm of possibility truly. Um, but, you know, of course was hoping that the show would be recognized and all of that stuff. Um, but didn't let myself, you know, really focus on it because it would just be, it's completely out of my control and not, it's not why I do it in the, all, all that stuff, not why I do it in the first place. But then, it happened that morning and I got the call and it was, it was overwhelming and, and, and just sort of meant it. in that moment, it really meant everything. It really meant so much. And I was just so grateful and moved uh, by it. Well, congratulations. And uh, I just want to thank you for being such a good sport. Thank you so much for coming on our podcast today. This was so fun. Um, I can't wait to see what happens when Mark goes back to work. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Adam Scott, for being on 20 Questions on Deadline. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you again, Spotify HQ in downtown LA, for hosting our podcast recording in your studios today. Don't forget to check out 20 Questions on Deadline at Spotify and Apple Podcasts and read our awards line magazine in print and at deadline.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did to create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.